Welcome to Beer and Gear with Felix and Wes. Brought to you by Highway Marketing. So, Willow, we usually start these things by trying to figure out what everybody's drinking. It appears to me that that you are not having a uh, a beverage that. Uh, oh, hey there! Whoa! Okay. <laughs> All I was right. waiting. I was waiting. I decided to have a little tea and then I was just like, okay, I'll have the beer on the side. And then right. when it's time for, for the beer portion, I have my beer. So, so I'm a cheers. So uh, yeah. I am having a, uh, one of our, our beautiful local uh, Amarillo uh, ale works right here in Denton, Idiot's Very Hill. Nice. Um, that is actually, they name a lot of their beers after actual places in Denton and Idiot's Hill is where all the rich people live. And so they called it Idiot's Hill. So, <laughs> where do you live? <laughs> not in Idiot's Hill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a nice, uh, a nice red ale. Very nice. Um, what about you, Willa? I am drinking a very basic beer. It's the Ruby Redbird from Shiner. <laughs> hard it's, to uh it's just it's, it's just like good middle of the afternoon like super easy river beer you know mm. river and, beer and it's river beer mm. and it, it's it's a nice warm day outside so like after all the storms that we just had it's a nice like okay spring is coming in let's bring in the warm weather beer so decided that this might be a nice nice way to start the season right i'm all about basic beers because i'm not a beer snob Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the retention or any, I don't know why I just like, I, do I like the taste? So I'm going with Stella. Uh, so uh, that's a good choice. Yeah. Madame Stella Trois. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> keep it. It never lets me down. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. always a good choice. I, I want, I want this. Sh- I want people, enough people to watch this, to make comment, to criticize and make fun of whatever we're drinking. <laughs> that's when I know we'll have made it. <laughs> right. They're like, you guys drink garbage beer. <laughs> hey, hey, man, uh, we drink to enjoy ourselves and we, we enjoy what we are drinking and piss off. Thank you. Yes. There's yes. always a guy that's going to question your manhood, um, <laughs> whatever you're drinking. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's based on beer. I'm like, really? I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> well, whatever. It's delicious and I'm happy. So that's now give fine. me that apple teeny back. <laughs> you can live in your sad little <laughs> apple teeny list world. <laughs> they are delicious. They are delicious. They are. They're so good. And they're so terrible. Like I always get a headache. They're so sweet, but they are so good. <laughs> awesome. I can't so, remember Willa. where we were. We were. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 was, I was commenting on the apple teeny thing. We were at some place and there was these chocolate teeny things that my wife and I <gasps> were drinking. It was like this dark chocolate thing. And I took a sip and I'm like, oh, it tastes like dark hot chocolate, but cold <laughs> and alcoholic. And Ooh. these are dangerous. And then like four later, I'm like, I shouldn't be drinking these. <laughs> four of them later. <laughs> oh, I want one. That sounds delicious. It, Have you ever had until the next day? There's a drink in Peru that's called Pisco Sour. Um, Peru and Chile, I should say. What's it called? Pisco okay. Sour. Yeah. That, that's not what I heard. No. Yes. No. It's P I Z C O, I believe. Yeah. O S C O. I don't know. That's way better than what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> this is not that type of beer. Um, <laughs> that's, a show. <laughs> that's a great show, actually. <laughs> uh, and if you're in Peru, they tell you that's theirs. If you're in Chile, they tell you that's theirs and that theirs is best. So I think that both countries can go into war over it, but it's delicious. It's based, um, it's like, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say something wrong, but I want to say it's grape base based, and they add some sugar and they do like egg white batter on top, so it gets like foamy on top. Mm-hmm. And you think you're drinking dessert, and all of a sudden you drank three of them, and you 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 just ruined your whole week because that's you're gonna have fun, but yeah, the next few days are gonna be like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend it, and not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Willa, mm. we brought you on board because we've always, every time there is something we do and the name Willa comes up, we're like, yes, we're excited. Um, I can introduce you uh, and I, as an all-around badass, really. Um, sound person, sound girl, sound lady, um, sound you. guru. Uh, <laughs> so, wanted to just, who are you? I let you introduce yourself on this one. Who, oh, who, <laughs> who are you? Who's Willa? Oh my gosh! Who heard you when you were a, were young that you <laughs> we, wanted to do this? We have four more beers before we start talking about that kind of thing. <laughs> we want to get meta. We can. I mean, I'm ready. Let's do this. Uh, <laughs> well, hi y'all. Uh, I'm Willa Snow. I am a front of house engineer, and monitor tech in Austin, Texas. I'm also uh, a production manager for a few local artists. Um, I pre-COVID, I was working in nine different venues and I had three artists that I work with and I toured and I also work with a few different manufacturers as a brand representative. And that's how I met Felix and Wes. So uh, I've been doing this for about uh, five years. So not very long, still new to the industry and loving learning every little bit that I can and meeting cool people and um, I view what I do as an art form and as a service, and I adore it with every fiber of my being. So when COVID hit, it was pretty devastating. It was a grieving process to go through when um, I wasn't able to do my work anymore. But uh, thankfully, technology is a wonderful thing. Um, and through uh, platforms like Zoom and YouTube and all kinds of other broadcasting software, we you know, we're able to figure out how to do broadcast festivals and, you know, shows from home and, and still find a way to bring human connection and music to the world and also in a sort of cooler, more um, global point of view mm-hmm. with, with the way that we approach it. So it's been a blessing in, a, in, in disguise. So anyway, that's, uh, that's me. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. How do you how do you start? Do, do you start as a musician? Um, mm-hmm. I know the answer to this because I've actually heard you sing. Uh, oh my God! You did. Yes, I forgot. <laughs> you did. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I was a singer songwriter. Uh, my mom was emphatic that I be the next Taylor Swift back in the day. Um, <laughs> I think the curly hair was like, that's what gave her the idea. Um, so I started playing music when I was in my teens and I started gigging when I was 15. Um, and interesting, interestingly enough, even though I was, you know, gigging a couple times a month, even though I was in high school, I had no idea what an engineer was. I never had a monitor mix. No one ever came up to me and said, this is a mic and here's how you use it. I just knew that there was this thing in front of me that I had to speak into. And that's about all I got. Um, and it wasn't until I was in college when I learned about the, re- the studio recording production side of things that I learned about the side of engineering and, you know, the entire world that that is and how much I loved it and how interesting it was and, and complex and fun um, and how just like moving, changing a microphone or moving it from one point to another can completely drastically change the sound. Um, so 
I mean, just to as a like slide note, like anytime anybody asks me like what kind of microphone they should get, it's like, well, what what's your sound? What are you trying to do? Because so there are so many different microphones out there, and there's so many, and they're all good for something. It just depends on what you're trying to do. Um, so I started with with studio, and I started going down that path. Um, and I worked in studios all around Santa Fe, New Mexico, and a little bit in Minneapolis. Um, and a bit in LA too, uh, just for a short couple of months. And then, um, after going in that direction for a while, I found myself in Austin, Texas and sort of accidentally got a job at a production company and it was completely unintentional, but it was also kismet at the same time. And I learned how to build uh, live sound PAs through the job and just all about live sound applications. I learned about ringing out, uh, stages on, on gigs and working with clients in that that way and I learned about monitor uh tacking from that job as well um and then from there I just kind of went with it and ended up developing Stockholm syndrome for life sound so <laughs> it is kind of Stockholm syndrome right it is because I hated it I hated it when I first started because it's loud and scary and everything's breaking and something's going wrong and someone's losing their mind and the artist is missing or something's going wrong and like there's just always something happening and it's very intimidating at first and, and especially when there's feedback going on and you're like still learning how to how to tune a stage and get all of that under control and you know someone's yelling at you I can't hear myself and it's like but you're there but you're not so figuring out the nuances of that um it's it, yeah it, it it was really intimidating at first but I kept for something kept pulling me towards it and eventually I was just like I kind of like this more than I like the studio this is more fun it's challenging there's so much more to learn I think I think there's more potential for growth in the live world and also with the direction that live sound is going there's so many different ways that you can take it um and there's so much joy in it too so yeah there there's a reason why in the middle of the show when things are happening we call those things happening in the heat of battle because yeah literally like the the second that show starts you're on 20, you know, as far mm -hmm. as paying attention to everything. And, you know, I come from, I was a monitor engineer for many years and that's like everything you're watching, everything you're seeing, everything that's going on. You got your hands on here. You're listening to this. You're paying attention to that. Like mm -hmm. your senses are heightened a hundred times, like what they mm -hmm. are before the gig and after the gig. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely the Stockholm syndrome thing. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's very much what it is. It totally is. And eventually it's just, it's like a drug and you're just like, mm -hmm. man, I gotta get, gotta get out there, man. I just, I gotta, I need a fader, man. Got a fader. Yeah. I, just, I just need that, that trim pot. Get it. Gotta get it. It could be a short throw fader, man. I don't care. I just need one. You know? <laughs> it's it's funny you said that because uh, before we got on the call i was thinking of things to talk about right yeah. and my my engineering work has mostly been studio and install side of things right um i love calm i i love just having the opportunity to mess up and build up on that the the, the adrenaline of live is not something that looks appealing to me i've done it handful of times um i try not to advertise it because I, i i trust my ears that i'm that i'm good at it but i so because of that i'm like it's i don't enjoy it and i'm not gonna make i'm gonna make sure people don't know that i've that i <laughs> so i don't have a friend's band wanting me to do it um because i will mess it up uh but um 
there is, but I'm a performer, right? Um, so my experience, and I think that the performer and, and the three of us have performed live quite a bit. I know Wes has played in bands too. So, so have you played, performed and that relationship between the artist and the engineer um, at times when, when you, when a, when a band doesn't have their own engineer or know who they're working with, it can be antagonistic um, at first. And, and, I usually tell musicians that I play with, just try to disarm that person because it feels like it's going to be a battle from the get-go sometimes. And the best thing to do is just shake hands, say your name and call them by their first name. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I mean, when, so in, in my clubs, I'm mixing somebody I've never met before. Uh, I might've had time to look them up on YouTube or something or on their social media or on Spotify to like kind of know their music, but I may not necessarily have heard of them before. Uh, and nine times out of 10, I haven't. Uh, but also nine times out of 10, they're amazing. And I'm really excited to work with them. Um, so one of the things that I do, I take it upon myself as the house technician to go up to the band and it's like, I'm welcoming you into my home. Like you're coming to stay over for the night and it's been a long day. You're coming from wherever, like maybe you had a stressful day or something. I want you to come in and know that you're going to be taken care of, that you're going to be heard. Uh, so I always walk up, I introduce myself and I try my best to remember everybody's names because it's, it's, I, I've noticed that it's a lot more comfortable for the musicians on stage when they're not being like, all right, drummer, do this. It's like, okay, hey, Kyle, can you please give me your kick drum? And then it's a little bit more like it's a little bit safer. And, and also that means that they know that they can talk to me if they're not hearing something that they need to. Um, or if someone in the band has like any specific requirements that they need fulfilled, then they feel safer talking to me about them. Because I'd rather give them, because my job is to provide them with their sound and then maybe help them carve it out a little bit. And of course, because each engineer has a different style, each one is going to sound a little bit different from place to place. And I certainly have my own vibe and sound that I, I go with, especially when it comes to effects. That's like a telltale signature of like, what does an engineer sound like? Well, what effects do they like to use and how do they like to use them mm -hmm. um so i try to like at least know the style of music i'm going for choose my effects accordingly and then also like do the best i can to reflect that artist's style and respect that um and more often than not i, I keep hearing stories of uh these artists coming into venues where they they don't even know the name of the person who's mixing them or, or they never see them or mm -hmm. halfway through the first song they're just gone <laughs> which like makes me really like yeah nervous because like, i can't i'm not leaving my console unless there's an emergency ever <laughs> so like right yeah like that it's like i want to provide that comfort and, and security for my artists whenever they come across my stage yeah when i was doing club gigs where i would have to do monitors in front of house from the same spot yep. you know which is all the time <laughs> yeah right <laughs> a lot of mm -hmm. what what you know you, you end up doing um i the first thing i would say when when loading when the guys were loading in is is like i want to get your monitor mix right first because how you feel on the stage is the most important thing to me if you sound good and you're enjoying it, my job's easy. And once you kind of get that point across to them and let them know that, you know, what's coming out of front of house for everybody to hear, all I am is a window. And my job is to make sure that their art is, is, you know, projected yes. through that window in the, in the best way possible. I want it to be as clear and as mm -hmm. clean a window as possible. And that all comes down to what's going on on stage. Once you do that, guys are just like, Oh my God. Like yeah. you care about what it sounds like on stage. Yes. That's where well. Here, here's the funny thing. As you're saying that I'm going like, how can you? Cause I understand the cranky 
uh, sound guy way more than you right now. <laughs> I'm the fourth man of the night. Everybody's acting like a okay. diva. I get how this guy you heard me say at, at sound check. By the time that fourth band goes on, that psychology might have changed a little bit, you know, but, you know, I I try to make sure, you know, I was always trying to make sure that those those people felt that way. And when I was doing, you know, to to your point, Willow, about um, the uh, uh, the monitor guy and the, the, you know, people leave in front of house and all that stuff. You know, I used to work at a I'm I'm not going to name any clubs or, you know, throw anybody under the bus or anything, but I used to work at a fairly well-known large club in Dallas and I was the monitor guy and our front of house guy would never interact with any of the bands. He would literally, when a band would start, he would be there for the first and maybe the second song before he left the booth and would wander off. And like, I was literally doing a show at this place where the bass player came over to me. I'm on, you know, stage left doing my monitor gig. And he comes over to me and goes, Hey, people out front are saying that they can't hear the bass. Uh, is there anything you can do? Cause I can't see the sound guy. And I look over and he's not in the booth, you know? Wow. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing front of house now too. You know, mm. so yeah, I, I've, I've, as a musician, I've been there and as a sound guy, I've seen it happen. If that's um, a venue I think about, that's not easy to get from one to the other quick. Um, with a packed house. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it was about a 1200 seat cap. A lot of elbows to get there quick. Yes, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. well, they, they, and of course, um, I, I, I don't think it would be fair to not mention um, or, or, or investigate or, or ask the question. Historically, the sound guy, it's sound guys, right? It's a, it's a, it's a boys club. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, do you feel a different treatment? Do you feel, is there, is there any, do you feel doubt, any kind of feeling or doubt from artists or peers um, or whoever's hiring you or whatnot. You All know? the time. <laughs> How often are you? Oh, yeah. I, I realize you're the girlfriend uh, of somebody in the band. Talk to the actual sound guy. What's worse is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've, thankfully, I've only been asked that once. And it was like on some drunk game. It would have been really fun if you were dating the drummer of the band at the oh, same it time. It would have been hilarious. <laughs> it would have been hilarious. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, it, sometimes it gets a little bit worse when it's like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend is ops manager of this uh, production company. Like, and I just happen <laughs> to know all of these people because it's because I know them through him. Right. Uh, but it's why he never introduces me as his girlfriend right off the bat. Mm-hmm. If I'm meeting somebody new and it's primarily for professional purposes, he never mentions that I'm his girlfriend. And it isn't until I work with that person a couple of times, I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, I've been with this guy for a few years. I didn't know so, through months, by the way. He didn't yeah. mention your name. He kept That's referring why. to my girlfriend and he knew I knew you, um, yeah. but yeah. That's um, why. And and it's because it, it can be, uh, it can it can really look bad on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can demean my value quite a bit. Um, and it's happened where like, I'll be on, uh, I, I mean, I did a couple of like live mix offs uh, and it, I mentioned that my monitor system that I used was a couple of, uh, L acoustics XR 12s, uh, which is very fancy. And it's only, and I was going to say it's because I'm friends with a production company in town and someone else on the call knows who I'm with and they're like oh yeah she got it from her boyfriend and it's like I heard that cool thanks yeah way to make me look less qualified I appreciate it um so and and it's I don't think it was out of malice but it was also Mm -hmm. just kind of like 
that that it, that it does it hurts more than it helps um yeah. and it's it's definitely a piece of information that doesn't need to be broadcasted and because of my gender it it it, there is that trope of like she's getting it from her boyfriend she's getting it from her husband like she's getting it from somewhere else it's not her and yes I do have access to resources and I definitely take advantage of them but I don't do it lightly I, I do it with respect and um and I try to make and, like everything I do is me mm-hmm. so it, it, and you know I mean most of the time uh some there there have been occasions where a band has come across my stage and they're kind of confused that I'm the one that's running their sound and they're not sure that I know what I'm doing which I think is kind of just generally they're meeting somebody for the first time mm-hmm. so you you have no idea who this person is like male female not you know gender non-binary like whoever it is you have no like they may have had a bad experience where they had a string of texts that didn't know what they were doing. So they feel like they feel safer saying, this is what I want, or this is how you need to do that, how to, how to run our sound. Mm-hmm. So I try not to take any of it personally. Um, but there are some, there have been a few instances where it definitely was personal and it definitely was because of my gender representation and the people that I work for. And if I had not been female representing, uh, I most likely would have been treated differently. So it, it, it but I try not to, I try to look at it from, I do my best to look at it from like, it's not me, it's them. And mm-hmm. I'm just here to do my job. But I have like uh, reached out to friends before to be like, Hey, this is my experience. Is this real? Or am I projecting my insecurity on this? Or have, have you experienced this from this person before? You know, and I try to like make sure it's not just me. So, you know, I try to just not, regardless in the moment on the job i try my best to not make it affect me and what i do mm-hmm. so yeah as as the old guy on this podcast um i i can i, I remember the because i worked at a lot of clubs that had touring acts you know mm-hmm. and i remember the first time that a female monitor engineer showed up with a touring act and i thought it was amazing i was like why why is this not a normal thing that mm-hmm. that happens all the time and over the last probably 15 years or so i've seen it getting more and more and more. And I think that might, you know, obviously just the the ability for the information that's out there. And it's not this boys club that holds all the information mm-hmm. and we control all of this and we're not going to share with anybody because there's a certain amount of that in engineering, you know, mm-hmm. or at least mm-hmm. there used to be until we all came together for COVID and decided we were going to teach everybody everything we know, <laughs> you know, um, which is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. I love this community for that. But can you talk a little bit about your association with, uh, uh, with sound girls and like, mm-hmm. you know, talking about that, that kind of thing to, to help bring that forward. Yeah, I certainly can. Thanks Wes. Um, so sound girls is an international organization of female and non-binary representing individuals all in audio. So whether that's live sound, studio sound, uh, gallery installation, sound design for theater, uh, game audio, anything having to do with a noise, we uh, fully we we have people that do that in our, our organization it's a nonprofit. It's free to join soundgirls.org it was founded by carrie kais who's the monitor engineer for pearl jam she's been with them for close to 30 years and Mich- michelle sabolchik petinato who is um not johnny cash uh elvis costello's front of house engineer uh she's also amazing and um so they started it interestingly enough right around the same time that i decided i was going to go into production uh so they think i think that was 2011 
uh, is when they first launched and they started the, um, they started the organization because like they're accustomed to being the only woman ever. Like they've never met another woman in production. And it wasn't until they were all on a panel of about women in production that they all met each other and they decided we need to provide a resource to allow other women to not be alone in, in this world and just have a safe space to go and network and to ask questions and learn the craft of audio. And uh, women want to, you know, we want to help each other. We want to raise each other up. We want to make the industry a better place. So we want to create opportunities for uh you know, marginalized groups to get the resources that they may not necessarily have traditionally received. So it, it, and it's a great organization. I would not have had any of the success that I've had so far in my very short <laughs> time span in this industry thus far without the help and, and support of Sound Girls. They are who I am today. Uh, some of my closest friends, my, my, my sisters in the industry are all Sound Girls members and I met them through the organization and like they're my rock. They keep me going. So it's a, it's a great organization. I am the chapter head of, for Austin. Uh, so reach out. <laughs> Hopefully when COVID's over, we'll, I'll be able to host uh, educational programming again. I haven't been able to do anything because it's COVID. Um, but we are hoping to bring a Sound Girls camp, summer camp to Austin uh, as soon as it's safe to do so. And it's a free summer camp for uh, teenaged uh, young women to come and learn audio. So hopefully we'll be able to do that soon as well. Good. That's very cool. Awesome. So, it's, a, so it's a great org. <laughs> Um, taking it to the gear, mm. I met you at the NAM. Oddly enough, we live in the same town, <laughs> and I didn't. Meet, I met you in Anaheim at the NAM show, and then yep. of course we know everybody. We, we, mm -hmm. we, we, I don't know how we haven't worked together. Austin. We didn't know Doesn't each other before like, then. There's six degrees of everything, and oh, absolutely, Austin, oh, I, 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 absolutely, man. I, I always tell people, don't do anything you don't, you don't want people to know because it will come back to you in this town. Oh, it will. <laughs> very quick. <laughs> it's a very small town. <laughs> very quick. Uh, so you were working with Allen and Heat at the time as, mm -hmm. as product specialist. Um, but then fast forward to South by Southwest that year and I go to a shirt event and I said something to somebody, oh, I need to talk to Will. And he goes like, oh, is that Will Snow doing sound? I got to meet her. <laughs> was like, me? Me? Oh. I, I was like, at that point, I'm like, wait a second. She's <laughs> really? How come I haven't like everybody knew Will but me um, or knew about her? Um, uh, it's and, all branding. And <laughs> <laughs> there's Willis no uh, um, um, stickers all over town. Um, I did. I That's did fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I did text. I did. I did text Willis no two weeks ago when mm -hmm. we when we're being snowed in and there's power and I said I hate snow. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> it's okay. I definitely took the opportunity to send a couple of videos. Be like, there's a whole lot of me on the ground. Look at me everywhere. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so the point I'm trying to get to is um, the, the gear. You, you, you seem to be connected to some of the brands we, we use, you know, um, and I've seen you working in Allen Heath Mixers and, I've, and, and I know you, you, you have sure in your ears right now. And I do. How? How has technology helped you in gear in general to transition? I, I remember you were one of the first people that I saw getting active. It was you and Kurt yeah, that I saw right away doing uh, live sound and, and, and live streaming. And it seemed like 
I know from your perception, you definitely slow down from, but the, from the outside, mm-hmm. I was like, man, Will hasn't stopped working. I just see her doing things. Um, and I did see a lot of our brands in the stuff you were doing. So, mm-hmm. so what was, just walk us through that process of like, oh crap, I gotta eat <laughs> and I gotta work. <laughs> what do I do now? So you mean like when COVID hit? When like COVID when hit, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I was very fortunate that my main gig is a is a is a W two stagehanding gig, uh, so I was able to get unemployment insurance through that, and that's kind of kept me afloat. And mm-hmm. I've been able to step back a little bit, rest for the first time in years. It felt like, uh, and then I was able to kind of regroup and work with some of my artists to figure out how to how can we still do what we what we do. Um, and start working out how to broadcast things and how and learning how to use zoom as a means of broadcasting live music which is not what it's traditionally made for but it's possible to make it sound pretty okay um and i mean you mentioned kurt kurt is like the king of streaming like that man is brilliant he has like a whole like one man van set situation going it's insane um but having the digital aspect of it was really helpful and i'm a big fan of mixing in the box i've never used an outside server for anything um i think for i mean i'm sure i will eventually as my clients budgets grow as my knowledge and skills grow i'm I'm sure i will but i'm a big fan of mixing in the box and uh my favorite console to use just in general for most of the things that i do are kind of small uh, so the SQ5 or 6 from Allen & Heath is excellent in its integration at just as like a USB interface to get to my computer to mix live audio to then be broadcasted just makes it really easy. It's also really lightweight and it has a small footprint so I can bring it into somebody's living room and I can just mix everything right there and I it's really easy to make that console sound good. Um, and especially with the t- type of music that I tend to mix which is either like a sort of a female singer songwriter multiple harmony folk style like a really delicate sound uh it's perfect for that uh, i've also used it to mix pop and rock and roll and it's responded really well to that as well with higher uh gains on the preamps and, and slamming my compressors and making it just sound really um polished uh it, it's a great multifunctional surface and it's just so easy to rig it up and get it ready to go for broadcast so that's been my favorite thing and it's easy to just make it sound polished with the outboard processing as well or just like mm-hmm. with the end chain processing so i'm curious uh again I, the old guy um so when i was coming <laughs> that should up, be your name uh, from now on with felix and the old guy yeah felix <laughs> and the old guy that's that's the new name of the podcast um so felix uh, and the old guy yeah, see, drinking beer and talking about your <laughs> Hey. Hey, nice. That's it. Uh, yeah. We're not gonna pay you, but we're totally gonna use it. Yeah, uh, we're totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, jingle writing. It's my. It's my new. It's my new it's thing. A, it's the new <laughs> thing to help in, during this COVID time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, uh, how much analog console time do you get? Like coming up, like I was right there. You know, it was all analog when I started, and then I was there through the transition to digital. You know, uh, your your friend Chris Leonard does this amazing podcast that I'm working on called How We Got Loud that, that oh, goes yeah. through all. Mm-hmm. That is the greatest thing ever, by the way. Everybody should, anybody who sees this or hears this should go and listen to that. Like, wait, How We Got Loud is here. amazing, yeah. But yeah how we now, if we can get them to say the opposite, the other way around. <laughs> well, yeah. somebody wants to listen to this, right? Yeah, right? Exactly. But no, he he talks to all these industry, uh, you know, 
uh, like legends that were there through all the from the beginning of live sound and it's it's amazing but you know i was lucky enough to be kind of in that transition but you're young enough that you know that that was already a thing by the time you came into the situation so do you have situations where you walk in and there's a you know a heritage console sitting there and how comfortable are you getting you know wrapping your brain around that because to me Honestly, that's way easier than, it than is. any individual thing it is. It's all right there. There's no pages to flip through. There's no touch screen to break. It's just, it's in front of you. You have your channel path and that's what you got. Mm -hmm. And then if you have like a couple pieces of analog outboard gear that you can patch in, good. Um, so as long as you know how to know your signal flow, then you're fine. And when I first was learning, I was mixing on an Allen & Heath Mix Wizard. Um, and it was like just a, a rack of Mix Wizard. And then I think we had, oh, um, we had some sort of like... Uh, matrix processor and um you know with some delays and stuff and then we had like a couple of outboard compressors but largely it was just the mix wizard doing the the brunt of the work so i i learned how to build pas on an analog console in my first like sort of live mixing was done analog um all of my mixing knowledge prior to that was in the studio in pro tools so um while we had a big old Neotech console in our studio, we never really used it for anything more than just a preamp. Mm -hmm. um, every, all the mixing was done in the box and Pro Tools. So I'd never really set up a full system before until then. Um, so most of my learning was done analog uh, and I'm really glad for it because I, I need to get my hands on it and instead of just hitting a button, which is what I had been doing and learning in college. Um, it wasn't until I started actually physically taking patch cables and patching the ins and outs and understanding how all of those work together that I knew how to build something and I could have a firm grasp of how all of this integrates, um, how microphones interact with each other and how monitor mixes interact with each other and just in, you know, setting up delays and, and how you manage that. Um, so if, you know, if I walk into a small club and there's an analog desk it's like easier and it's just like okay cool this is what I, I have to work with but if I'm walking into a club and it's a digital desk that I don't have a whole lot of time with it, it's um each console has its own different workflow mm -hmm. and it and it works it, depending on what you're comfortable with and your experience it can be either really good or it can be a little challenging um and I think they're all good it just depends on the person what they're accustomed to mm -hmm. um it's so like I'm most comfortable with Allen Heath products. They're what I've used the most and I really like them. So I'll, I'll reach for them if I have a choice. Um, and most other venues that I work with either have the X or M32. So because of that, I know that console inside and out and mo and because they're um, fairly affordable and really, and they've done a really good job of positioning themselves in the market early on with the price point and the capabilities every artist like they're going to reach for that um either that or an allen and heath product so it's just easy for me to, to know those really really well because they're, they're what i'm on the most then yamaha is the other one that i'm on quite frequently and qsc also makes a touch mix console that i know really well because all of the small format consoles are just they're affordable they do the thing they do it fairly well um they have their quirks to them um but you know it so, but for the most part, they're fairly easy to figure out. As you move up and the sort of capabilities of consoles and you go into the Avid world of like the Venue series and, you know, the SC48 and all that, um, or Digico, DLive, 
um, CL5, all of that, that it, it tends to, it gets a little bit more com complicated in terms of the workflow and what you're looking at and how you read the desk. Um, also patching can get more complex because you have to know where the routing menus are and how to read them. Some, uh, like Midas is kind of backwards because the consoles are made in Germany. Um, and then <laughs> you have like every, everything is a little bit different. So that's where you can get into trouble with digital. Um, and it's really the routing. So if you're really good at routing, um, which personally I learned from analog. So I was able to kind of take that, like, I know that something has to come in and then it needs to come out. So learning that language was really useful for me. Um, but now I'm like all 98% of the time I'm on, I'm on digital. I've only worked on analog consoles twice since I started. So hmm. yeah, but it's also kind of nice because if you're touring, everything you have is in one package. It's not in 12 racks that are heavy, you yeah. know? So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a, I, I, unlike Wes, whatever experience I had doing live sound stopped. And then I took a, a detour and I worked for a company doing a lot of uh, production equipment and DJ equipment. So I had this like vacation in the DJ world for like five, six years <laughs> and, and music production. It doesn't sound like a vacation to me. Um, <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it was loud. Um, uh, and, and, and I can't, I remember coming back into, into, into being a rep and dealing with mixers and, and, and realize, oh, wow, it's, it's pretty much digital now. And, and it was, it, it was interesting to see the workflow of mixers. And, and to me, the, the, the successful platform, and that's why, that's why I praise on, on, uh, about uh, Alan Heath, but in particular DLive and, and Aventis and SQ is how the work, how, how analog friendly the workflow can be. Um, yeah. Will was talking about the, the routing thing on both of those consoles. There's literally a button that says routing. It's, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, it's like just, you like just like hit here. the routing button. It's pronounced it's routing. Everything. I think it's routing. It's routing. routing. It's routing. Yes. It's of the routing. So yeah, it's routing. So, oh, so Wes, as somebody who worked primarily analog and was there for the transition into digital, how mm -hmm. does it, how does the digital world feel for you? You know, I was, I heard a lot from people that were like my mentors at the time, because that was really, I was really in the middle of that transition. So like I did a little bit there and then a little bit there now in this part of my world, it's all digital, obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I heard a lot of the grumblings about, um, you know, like, digital sounds terrible uh which at the time to be fair it wasn't great i mean there was some stuff that was pretty good but compared to the analog stuff it, it, for real that analog stuff sounded great the big uh the big shift was inconvenience you know being able to instantly recall everything i remember the first time um that i was working in a in a 1800 again i'm not going to name names but it's about 1800 cap i was the house monitor engineer and we used to when people would come in they would bring in their own consoles and we'd have to run uh the the snake to from stage to front of house and we had these hooks on the wall and it was a second story thing and it was like this giant deal where we had to put this rope on there and like pull it up and it was yeah. a nightmare you know and the first time somebody came in and said here here's these two lines and whipped it up at me and it was like what is this? 
like, oh yeah, that's that's my snake. It's passing, you know, four. I have a router. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like literally two little BNC connectors, you know. And I'm like, this is your snake instead of this copper, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was crazy, but I I got why people wanted to do it. You know, it totally made sense to me, but it took a while to catch up. And even you know. It, we're going to get blasted on this for me saying this, but I've had a beer, so I'm going to say it. Um, even with the, you know, when Avid came in and it was all, uh, you know, D shows and, and then, uh, you know, as we moved through the whole Avid thing, I was never a huge fan of the sound of those consoles, but mm -hmm. man, what you could do with them, you know, uh, was, was worth the price of admission. You know, I get why people did it, you know, but you know, the, the D shows and venues and, and all that, I saw all that happen and I totally got it but you know i at that venue that i'm talking about i was on a, a heritage 3k for the entire time i was there through the digital thing that was our house console so mm -hmm. literally older guys would come in and they would see that and they would go does that all work and i'm like yeah it's mine of course it works and <laughs> and so they were like leave our digital console on the truck i'm going to use the house console today because <laughs> it sounds ridiculous and people yeah. would hear it people on ears mm -hmm. would be like oh man our ears sound great what did you do it's like oh we're using this Midas Heritage console, so yeah. You know. be, be, being on the retail side and selling these things to end users was was crazy because you go from selling a rack like you never saw the mixer, you always saw the mixer and a rack and a few compressors and a few EQs and uh, and yeah. uh, which is funny when you were talking about what the microphone and what you do when you started, that was me. I started at a music store selling guitar strings and picks and accessories, but. Being the only Spanish speaker person, I kept getting called to the pro audio department to help deals. Mm -hmm. At some mm -hmm. point, they said, like, dude, you got to move there and just sell pro audio. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. And my first day, I go, like, I do want to know something. What's a compressor? Because I knew they always asked me, asking me if they need a compressor. So I just was translating, but not understanding what was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and it was just really funny. Like I'm, I'm just on my own selling pro audio equipment and I had no idea what a compressor does. <laughs> so and, you, just um, you need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just need it. And the guy that actually taught me who, what a compressor was, I just talked to him yesterday. Uh, anyways. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, he's he he saved himself. He's not in the audio world anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he got away from his captor. Yeah, he ran. Um, <laughs> but um, but it, but it was really cool to 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 see mixers and that transition of being like you don't need this rack anymore. You yeah. so, so especially for anybody that's mobile or even budget wise, you know, um, there was no you don't have to insert anything, you know? And it's funny now, no, I've actually had those moments with people plugging something in a mixer going like, oh, it's not working because you put it on insert. That doesn't mean input. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and it's just, um, it, it, it's just amazing how it shifted. Uh, but I, I'm glad you talked about that, Wes, because I was thinking of, they have to have been the people going like, this is not going to stick. I stick oh, to analog. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, there was a lot of the older dudes that were just like, I'm, I'm not, you know, it, it doesn't sound good, so I'm not going to do it. And that's a fair point. You know mm -hmm. I mean? It is. I, I, I make this point all the time. You know, it's... Uh, it's all about the audio quality. You know, if you're, you have to be passionate about this and, and will you kind of 
touched on this a little bit, but you know, with the Stockholm syndrome thing, but the reality is we're all very passionate about what we do in this Mm -hmm. industry. You know, we really want it to, at the end of the day, music has touched us in some way that we can't really explain to other people, you know, uh, but mm-hmm. people who have that same thing, under, like we have this intrinsic, oh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I understand. We don't have to talk about it. But we want to make sure that from the production side of things, we want to try to give other people that same experience that we had that one time where it was like, you know, the finger of God touching us in some way, you know, just like, yes. you know, and you want to, you want to <laughs> give Boofed that by to, God. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and you want to give that to other people, mm-hmm. you know? So absolutely, it, it makes a very passionate thing for, for everyone that's in this, in this industry. Uh, so those guys, when that digital came along, it wasn't, they didn't think they could give that boop from God to other people using the gear that was there. And maybe they couldn't at the time, you know, the PM 5d was not a great thing. You know, it was not fun uh, to work mm-hmm. on at all. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've all worked, probably all of us have worked at some point on like an LS nine or an M seven yep. or something like that. You know, I actually, I like the LS nine, the little uh, wheel is, really? it's, it's got like? some charm. I is do. That really? Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it's, it's cute. Just you know, the little thing go. <laughs> I always, I always say I've made tons of money on an M7. You know, I've worked on yeah. so many M7s, and yeah. you know, they have their thing that they do, which is do. you know, there's a fader for everything, and it's a nice transition console from analog to digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get why it was there, but um, you know, again, I might get blasted for this, but no one ever said they sounded good. You know, they were just good. They were easy to use and they were functioning, yeah. you know? So yeah, absolutely. Well, considering it was used at late night when people drinking, I'm pretty sure a lot of people thought it sounded good. So at some sure. point, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but additionally, like I, another way to think about it is like the, the console for us, for engineers, that's our instrument. So yep. if you like, like for, uh, for a guitar player, um, Felix, what's a what's a low budget like sad guitar? <laughs> like I don't know. Like, I say guitar player. I, I'm a bass player. I don't talk to those people. <laughs> I'm the guitar player. So right. uh, yeah, there's there's a like, lot of uh, like uh, like an Amazon here. guitar. Yes. Like yes. take that versus like you know. Um, I mean, I'm I I a play guitar. I'm not ball. a guitarist. Yes, yes. like <laughs> that. Like you know, it, it, it's it's sort of it's sort of like that sort of comparison. Like they both do the thing, and you play them similarly. Like like the actual technique is the same, but the sound is vastly different. Yes, you know, like and it and as since like the job is to make it sound good obviously we're going to choose the tool that sounds the best so if that is a Midas heritage console that sounds amazing i'm definitely going to choose that over the ease of the setup of my you know digital like first on the market digital console that works but doesn't have that 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 gravitas that je ne sais quoi the something you know so i think you might be the first person on this show to say je ne sais quoi <laughs> ah, well, I, I'm cool. just a boozy bitch. What can I say? <laughs> uh, you also heard the, uh, the, you also you just said the other word that we haven't said in the in the in the show either. So there you go. You got two out of two. Yeah, they go third, third, second time. Awesome. <laughs> 
Well, I was the, the the reigning crown holder for uh for most swear words on Signal to Noise until Dead Mouse dethroned me. So, I mean, honestly, if anybody's going to dethrone me and it's Dead Mouse, I'm fine with that. But I'm yeah. going to take it back someday. <laughs> <laughs> so, can we talk about you know the the things that you've that, that you've done uh, during the the COVID thing? Uh, yeah. you, you brought up the Signal to Noise podcast. You know, again, to Felix's point, uh, you seem to be everywhere. Um, which is, which is awesome. But can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and, you know, like what you've got going forward? I know we all plan on this ending at some point, please God in the near future. So uh, we can all get back to doing shows and seeing shows Mm -hmm. again, but like Mm -hmm. what, what's, how did you start with that? And where do you see that kind of thing going forward? Honestly, I think I have a social media fairy that helps me. (laughs) Um, And I I think people like to see women in the industry that love what they do, which is me. I'm just, I'm just doing me. I'm I'm doing my thing. I'm sharing my experience and I'm trying, I'm not, anything I share is genuine. It's I'm, I'm not trying to say I know more than somebody else. I'm not trying to say I'm more qualified than somebody else. Um, I, I am trying to show that like I care about what I do, that I love what I do, and here's what I can do for you, and here's what I'm trying to do, and I'm sharing the things I learn. Um, so it's all like from a place of just honesty. Um, and I think people find that refreshing. And uh, because of my presence on social media, um, it's very much ve- very artist-minded. And I mean, I've always been very good at networking. I just enjoy meeting people and connecting and and learning someone else's story and seeing how I can help them. Um, And that has in turn uh, led me to meet some really amazing people. And the whole reason I got involved with the Pro Sound Web Crew and Signal to Noise podcast is because I just started cold messaging people on LinkedIn. Uh, And it wasn't until I think that over in the past two years that LinkedIn has become an industry uh, platform. But I was there before it was. So, um, and, and it is a really useful networking tool. Um, and it, a lot of it came from like, I would be, I would be doing research and I would read articles. And at the bottom of the article, the author, there's like a little author bio, and then there's a button for their LinkedIn page. So I had a LinkedIn profile. So I would just message them and tell them something about the article that I read that they wrote that I found helpful. And then I had a friend. And so that, that works with quite a few different people. And it's how Michael Lawrence and I started talking and he decided somehow to invite me onto the signal to noise podcast. I don't know why, but I'm down for it. And, uh, he invited me on and, um, I think part of the reason he did was actually, I took this time, it popped up in my Facebook memories a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this time last year I was set to production manage a pretty large scale event for South by and, uh, it was getting too serious and I, I I like to be a little goofy sometimes. And uh, I was about to be on a call with a bunch of people and it was before like zoom was the standard. So it was just on the phone. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wear a bunny suit to make this less serious. And then I ended up like, so I was drinking my coffee, wearing a bunny suit on a phone call with a bunch of people talking about like various production managing things. I'm just like chuckling to myself because it's like, ha, I'm in a bunny suit. Nobody knows. But then I took a selfie and I posted it on LinkedIn and I think it made people laugh because it's like, it's like, you can't take yourself too seriously. You might as well have fun. Um, and we do have a fun job that is very stressful. So why not wear a bunny suit while you do it to break the stress? 
Um, and I think that made people smile. And that's what prompted Michael to have me on the show. And then they just liked what I did. So they kept having me back. And now I'm kind of like a semi-permanent fixture with them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just like just reaching out to people and talking and meeting new friends. And uh, Sound Girl started a podcast as well. Um, and because of my involvement with Signal Noise, they asked me to, to guest host on that on a couple of episodes as well and edit a couple of them too. I mostly just stuck to the guest hosting. Um, and, you know, that just through all of that, I was able to just kind of look like I was doing things. <laughs> so uh, it's it's brought some joy. It's brought a lot of new friendships that I never would have had time to um, to nurture and to create during a normal work year. Um, so it's 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 been it's been pretty neat to kind of see how how things have unfolded. And one of my new best friends is in England now, and I met her because she interviewed on the Sound Girls podcast when I happened to guest host. So it's yeah, it, it's brought a lot of really amazing new people into my life. So awesome yeah so felix what do you think man i i think we've covered a lot um i i I just i i will say something that i probably i never told you but it's always something that i take away every interaction with you is contagious you're always Mm -hmm. smiling and, and you love what you do um one of the last shows i got to play live before pandemic you came to um and I threw a so, towel at you because you're sweaty. Exactly. <laughs> He's a sweaty man. It's a, it's a, I sweat before sound check <laughs> and we're all dancing. There's a crowd and feeling good. And I go, I go like, Oh God, I get, I'm getting sweaty in my eyes. And Willa was on the far right on the back of the crowd. And I don't know how, but she saw my expression. And all I know is she's on my left side by the stage and throws a towel at me. And it was clean. <laughs> and, and I, I, I hope <laughs> it was. I, I asked him specifically for a clean bar rag and he reached the clean bucket. <laughs> COVID was brewing under the surface. So I just, I'm it glad it was clean. See, um, that's a production person right there. Yes. Not even do anything at the show. It's like, there's a problem. I need to take care of it. And, and yeah. exactly. <laughs> I actually thought about as I'm playing a show, my brain went away and I thought, wow that's why she's one of the best in this town um so uh, and and it's just because you care you see it and, you. and so so really really glad to have you thank you so much i'm really honored to be on the show thank you so much and i'm just glad that i can share my passion and my love for this industry and i hope to god we come back soon because i'm dying here man <laughs> Do you have anything on the horizons that involve loudness outside with a crowd yeah, potentially. There, there's some hope. Uh, I might be mixing some shows out at Hotspot for the Drive In Love and Light stream this this spring. So right. we'll see. Um, and hopefully there, there's some low murmurs of a tour in the fall. So I'm not holding my breath, but I am holding my breath very hard. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you, you for, so much for being on here. That's, this has been great. Really Thank you for it. having me. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much.